Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode 46 of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. I would love if you would take just a moment to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star rating or a positive review for the podcast. It would mean the world to me. Today, my guest is Shelly Robinson. Shelly is a certified holistic family wellness coach, a cycle breaker, conscious parenting educator, and the creator of Raising Yourself. Her passion in life is to empower moms to turn their midlife crisis into midlife magic by teaching them how to reparent themselves, disrupt generational patterns, and take radically good care of their own needs. When she's not connecting with her online community or geeking out on the latest neuroscience of cycle breaking, she's likely making a mess in the kitchen with her two children, trying to find her way out from under a pile of laundry or decompressing with a good mystery in bed. So I'm just so excited to have you here today, Shelley. Welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. So I've been following you for um, a little while. I started my professional page on Instagram. I've been practicing for 30 years, but I never had a professional Instagram page. I just had a, a pretty big personal one. But um, So as soon as I started my professional one and started following people who do this kind of work, I found you. And I just love everything that you post. It's really... Um, helpful and inspiring and not judgmental. It's just, you know, very nurturing for parents. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm curious, and I know our audience is probably curious. um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this work. Yeah, I would love to. So before I got into the parenting world and the coaching world, I, um, I spent a dozen years in corporate world, and I had my first child 11 years ago and I just I didn't feel like that corporate grind I was in it just didn't align to my values and so I exited there um, I wanted a career that was a little more flexible and uh, and that I could make a more positive impact on people's lives so I I got out of that corporate grind went back to school and um, became a life and wellness coach and So when I did that, gosh, that was about a decade ago, I started out coaching moms who struggled with emotional eating because I had struggled with that for so long. Um, I also went on to support moms who struggled with infertility because it was something I had also struggled with. So I, those were the areas that I really focused on in the beginning. And then as I got further along in my coaching practice and in motherhood, I started connecting all these dots about human behavior and patterns and why we get stuck in these kind of cycles that we struggle to break. And I noticed that the same reasons that I was using food and different coping mechanisms to deal with all these big feelings that parenting brought up for me were also the same reasons and the same triggers behind my yelling and my threatening and all the things I was doing 
that didn't align to my parenting values. So I started connecting these dots between like why we do the things we do and it, and it kind of all boils down to just as parents our our you know struggle to manage our own emotions. And you know, we we get frustrated with our kids for not being able to manage their emotions, but the aha for me was like, gosh, I have to learn how to deal with my own feelings first before I can teach my kids how to do that. So that was kind of my big aha with the work of raising yourself. This this humility, this, gosh, I have so much to learn. Wow, I'm asking my kids to do all these things that I've yet to master in my own adult life. And so um, I just got really, really, I became so passionate about breaking cycles and, you know, supporting parents with how to manage their triggers and I just kind of fell into this work and I fell in love with it and it's been life-changing for me personally and it's it's such an honor to be able to share that story and that experience with so many people on social media. And you're so good at it. Everything you write um, just really resonates with me and I think it's true and I think a lot of moms don't think of parents because dads too I know most of my listeners and followers are women but um, dads, too, they don't really think about these things when they start to parent. I posted something yesterday on Instagram, or maybe two days ago, about um, what to do when your child says it's not fair. And I had a couple people say, oh, it's not okay to say, like, the fair only comes once a year, or the fair's where we buy funnel cake. You know, these pithy, kind of sarcastic responses. Right. And my dad always said, Kim, life's not fair, like, in a really sarcastic way. And I really thought about it because I even got some DMs about it that were kind of challenging me. I was saying, you know, we need to be empathic and validate them. And people weren't getting the point. But you know what, Shelly, this this comes back to what you were talking. When I said, how would you feel if you were really struggling with an injustice and your best friend said, well, fair, you know, fair is where we buy funnel cake once a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would hurt. and That would sting. Yes. Right. It's okay to say to our kids. Yes, right. And I think you, you're pointing out such a problematic cultural perspective of how we see children. We don't see them as these whole worthy human beings who deserve the same respect that we as adults deserve, you know, and it's our inability as grown-ups to put ourselves in their shoes because we were never treated that way. So we're just unconsciously like passing on that hot potato of pain and we don't plan to do that. That does not go on our to-do list. And so it's not malicious. It's just unconscious. And we think, well, we were treated that way as kids. So I guess, it, you know, we just kind of like do that to the next generation. And that's what that's what this work is all about, as you know. Like it's, it's about sticking a spoke in that wheel of like um, treating children as less than and saying, no, that stops with us. That stops with this family. And when you can do that, you heal yourself too, which you talk about. So your Instagram page and your coaching program is all about raising yourself and, uh, reparenting if you will. And can you talk a little bit more about that? Because even for someone like me, I, I studied family communication and counseling really 25, 30 years ago. And these words were not in our program. These words were not in our vocabulary at all. Yeah. Um, And so a lot of people, so professionals, I mean, they know the terms, but professionals aren't even completely, totally 
familiar with this, and then I'm sure mm-hmm. our listeners aren't either. So can you tell us like what it really means and how it impacts our parenting? And then even more, like where and how do we start reparenting or raising ourselves? Yeah. Yes. I love that this term, then these terms and this conversation has become so much more accessible um, and that it's becoming more mainstream. And 10 years ago, I would have never known what the term reparenting or inner child or any of that, that wouldn't have been on my radar. And I think that there's just so much more talk about that now. So raising yourself and reparenting yourself is really about, to me, it's about kind of bridging the gap between where you weren't maybe raised in a respectful and gentle way as a child. And that doesn't mean like placing blame on your parents. This this is what you're getting from all adults in your upbringing, right? So it could be coaches and it could be um, you know, pastors and babysitters and relatives, but kind of healing those wounds of how you were raised um, that affect how you parent today. So it's kind of taking that child, that inner child inside of you who still has those those wounds and healing those, bringing them to the surface, acknowledging them and tending to them like an actual physical wound um, so that you don't pass those wounds on to your child right? So we're healing what happened to us in our past. And that, again, that does not mean that you necessarily had to have these big T traumas. It could be a thousand little paper cuts of just not being validated for your feelings or who you are. And those things add up over time, right? And so it's taking all of that and tending to those so that we can give our children like a cleaner canvas. Um, And that's kind of the essence of it to me. I think it's a really personal journey. So I think there's a lot of different ways to describe it. But I think just to put it like in a nutshell, the word that comes to mind is humility. And it's acknowledging that like, like I said before, gosh, we have so much to learn as parents and being willing to kind of learn and know that the way we were raised maybe isn't how we want to raise our children. And we take what the good and then we leave behind what didn't work. So how, you know, I'm glad you brought up that it doesn't have to be big trauma with a T because sometimes I'm working with clients and, you know, I ask them a little bit about their family growing up and they say, well, you know, I had a great family. It was happy. Parents stayed together. You know, everybody was functional. No big thing. But yes, maybe, maybe their parents never encouraged a dream that they had or maybe their older sibling constantly criticized their intellect or the way they spoke, or maybe their older sibling, you know, was more accepted socially than they were. And so they created all these narratives in their head and we bring that with us forward. And so a lot of times people don't realize that there were still unmet needs growing up and those unmet needs will then kind of ooze out. That's right. That's right. I mean, an unmet need for us might get projected onto our child. So maybe we wanted to be, I don't know, an actor or, you know, an artist. And so we, we didn't get to meet that dream. So we push our child to do that thing that we didn't get fulfilled. And we do that unconsciously, but you know, that's the, that's why we want to disrupt that. So we don't put things on our We don't add baggage to our children that they didn't ask for. And, you know, 
I know you can do some of this yourself, but um, people don't. Do you find like, how would you say someone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I think I kind of have some of that stuff. Um, Do you recommend that they always work with someone like you or like me? Or can some people, maybe they just have some little things or they can't get in with someone or they can't afford to work with someone. Are there little ways that people can do some of this on their own? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And I know you mentioned like the how because we talk about this and it all sounds so theoretical and maybe even a little abstract. And I think um, if if hiring a professional isn't, you know, within possi- the possibilities, you can start getting really curious about your day-to-day life. So I think the very, very easiest place to start is your anger. So as a parent throughout the day, and it doesn't even have to be anger towards your child, it could be towards your partner or towards your boss. But when you feel angry or upset or ashamed, instead of running to whatever your coping coping mechanism might be, and I'm not saying that with any judgment because we all have those, right? Um, we all scroll and we all use <laughs> different things to kind of numb out. But if, if like out of those 10 times you run to something to, to use to cope, one of those times just pause and say, I wonder what is behind that and then make it tangible and put it on paper so on a journal or what you know type about you know write it down but make it real or find if you if you're not going to if you're not able to hire a therapist or a coach if you can find a safe friend or family member and I say safe someone that will give you a non-judgmental container to share this part of your journey you're not necessarily looking for advice but someone who you can share with and say oh my gosh, I think my anger toward my kid today was about this. And just getting really curious one little baby step at a time because it can feel like climbing Mount Everest at first when you start on this journey. So just take it one tiny step at a time and just noticing your anger and what might be underneath of that. And sometimes you're just sleep deprived and sometimes you're just hangry, but sometimes there is this wound that is like, please see me please tend to me. And um, just starting there kind of gives you the momentum to go forward. I think that's great advice. And it's so concrete. And every single person listening could do that. Um, Yeah. And when that anger doesn't really fit the situation or is, you know, repetitive, um, then we know it's not about what's going on right now. It's about something else. I talk about this, like on my Instagram, I did a little series on yelling, on parents yelling, because my mom was a big yeller, so bad that she got nodes on her vocal cords that had to be, I mean, she was, and I grew up on the East Coast, which people talk louder and yell a little bit more on the East Coast in the Philadelphia suburbs than they do where I live now in Texas, um, so, I, and I just kind of thought it was normal because it was all I knew growing up. But I remembered when I, my boys, I have three kids, but when my boy, there's a big age gap. So really when they were little, I was a yeller and I, I do this for a living and I was a yeller and I was embarrassed. I have told this story on my podcast before and in some Instagram videos, but anyway, to your point, I worked really hard on the yelling. And one of it, you know, in the first step I tell people is you've got to find your triggers. And one of my triggers was getting out the door for things, getting out the door for mass, getting out the door for school. And when I dug down really deep, like 
being late was so unacceptable in my family growing up. Like you, if we were late, we were early for everything and, and yelling was involved to be early. Yes. <laughs> but, but I, I, I remember that like, I panicked to this day, even Shelly, I took my daughter to the movies yesterday. My kids always tease me that we're so early if we ever go to the movies because I have this thing and I've kind of had to relearn that like the world's not going to end if we're late. Is it worth yelling at my kids if we're late? Because there was this something in me that I'm coughing just thinking about which my anxiety trigger is coughing. So all these years, it's still not totally healed. But and so that's it could be something as little as that of this pressure to always be on time that I saw myself yelling at my kids. Once I realized that and I could work through it, I'm not going to say I never yelled again, but I rarely yell at my kids about getting out the door or putting on their shoes like it just works like you said if you can acknowledge it and then tend to it and I think you're right anger is the best place to start because it's a real big clue to our unhealed wounds it is it's really underneath of our anger and not just our anger but a child's anger is almost always fear right so like your your anger toward getting out the door I mean I'm, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like maybe there's a story, there's, there's shame behind if you didn't get out the door on time, what did that mean? Like it meant some, yeah, it meant you're a bad mom, you don't have it together, whatever all these, like we make up these stories. So underneath that anger is this fear under fear under fear, you know, it's like peeling back all these um, layers of an onion. And <laughs> I actually do this with my kids when they get really angry, I get like a physical onion out. And I'm like, I know you are so mad right now. And I'm not saying you should do this when a child is angry because they'll, they'll probably throw the onion in your face. But maybe when things are calmer and the storm has passed, it's a fun, tangible way to say, you were really mad at me. Can we like peel back a little bit of what might be underneath that anger? And so my kids know now that under anger is fear. And my kids have even asked me when I'm angry, what are you scared of, mommy? Oh my goodness. Talk about like tears right right in my eyes as soon as they say that. But to be able to see someone's anger really as fear is you can it's such a gift to give someone um it is and yes yes like you're going to be rejected because that's the a child's greatest fear in fact that one of my triggers recently was um so my we homeschool and I had signed my one of my kids up for a class and one this particular child likes he likes a lot of advance notice he likes to know what's coming he's a planner um his his sister is not that way so it's kind of like that important aspect of parenting where you're parenting the child in front of you and not how you think that you know like their siblings can be very different i had not given this my son advance notice like i kind of just sprung it on him and he was like i am not taking this class absolutely not like defiance times a hundred and like even talking about it, like I could feel like the heat rising in my face. And that's another thing about triggers, like noticing those physical cues, like does your face get hot? Does your heart start racing? And start noticing those things before you react and kind of use those cues as like, okay, I feel like I'm going to explode and I'm going to walk away so I don't say something I regret. But anyway, that trigger for me was like about control, like I, how dare he not take this class? I paid for it. You know, all those little parenting things that go off in your head, like 
how dare they? And that's your ego talking. And I had to like rein that in and put it to the side and know that that was not going to help the conversation at all. And long story short, he was, he was scared because, um, he was going to have to talk in front of kids and a teacher. He didn't know, like he just needed a lot more preparation and a lot more kind of like, um, you know, he just needed more time to get ready for that. And I didn't give that to him. And he was ultimately scared that he was going to be called on and not ready and maybe be made fun of. And, you know, all those insecurities that we all have. So once we worked through that, it was fine. But had I let my ego get a hold of that conversation, I would have made him feel even worse than he already did. Yeah. And then it becomes a power struggle. I had a, a mom just yesterday message me. She listened to another episode about siblings fighting and saying things aren't fair. And she said, my kids just flat out will say no. And I think she said she signed her daughter up for something and they got there and her daughter said, no, I'm not doing it. But I don't think she had asked her daughter. Do you want to do this? Is this something you're interested in? And um, it can become a power struggle. You're doing this. No, I'm not doing this. When if parents, and sometimes I'll suggest to parents often, just what you're saying, like figure out what's underneath it. And you know what they say, Shelly? I don't have time. I don't have time. But if you realize that, that that saves you so much time in the long run. And it's not even just about time. It saves your child's soul and worth and your own. Because if you just force them to do this thing, because it's about control, um, then they're going to have these issues in their parenting. You know, you're just going to keep that generational cycle going rather than taking the five minutes or the 20 minutes to get underneath and see what's really going on. Right, right. It, it, you either pay for it now or you pay for it later. And that can like apply to a million things, right, in life, not just parenting. But it, yeah, the, if you can think long term like that, it's so much more helpful for the kid, the child, the parent. You know, you're going to have to repair later if you indulge in that sort of short term compliance. That's right. My daughter's godfather he would always say that he said that was kind of his parents one of their like mantras growing up like pay now or pay later you're always going to pay and he he brought it up when our our boys they're 24 now but they were toddlers and his toddler always kind of tantrumed and he said oh he's going to be an easy teen because he's getting and he would say, Kim, you're going to pay later because my, that that particular child never really had tantrums as a, as a toddler. But um, that's why I got this big smile when you said that. But it's true. It's if you in kind of invest that work um, in the moment, you actually really are going to save time later on. I want to switch gears because there's so much to talk to you about. And I want to kind of be cognizant of the time. But you offer a guide to moms, a free guide on your website to stop the nightly shame cycle. And I got it and went in and looked at that. And I mean, I think this is something so many moms do to themselves. So tell us what that is and what prompted you to address this issue in your work. Yeah, I, so I was laying in bed one night. I had had a particularly rough day with the kids. I had yelled, I had threatened, I had done all the things I try not to do. And that, um, you know, I checked all those boxes and I was laying there in bed and I was just berating myself. I was alone. I was just, it was, you know, the lights were out. I should have been sleeping. And instead I was thinking things like, 
what's wrong with you? Why can't you break these patterns? You know, you're messing up, you're messing up your kids. Um, who are you to like offer parenting advice? All these like shameful thoughts, all these, this, this inner mean girl had been unleashed. And I caught myself because I have been doing this mindfulness work for so long that it doesn't mean I never say mean things to myself, but I at least caught myself like a few minutes in and I was like, oh my gosh, if I don't believe shaming kids works and if I don't believe that criticizing children works to influence their behavior, why would it work with me? (laughs) And I wonder if other moms are struggling with this nighttime shame. Like we kind of go, we do this play by play in our minds at night and think back to all the terrible things. I'm putting terrible in air quotes, but all these failures that we feel like we had throughout the day. And then we don't really forgive ourselves. We offer ourselves no grace. We wake up the next morning. We resolve to be like the perfect, tomorrow I'm going to be better, right? Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be nice, darn it. And then our kid pushes our button at breakfast and we're like doing it all over again. So I think after I was like laying in bed this one night, the next thing on my Instagram stories, I asked, I said, does anyone else lay in bed at night and beat themselves up about what a crappy parent they were that day? And of course I got like hundreds of responses like, oh my God, I do this every night. How do I stop doing this? And so this guide is kind of, you know, it's, I tried to make it a solution to that. It's really not, it's not a guide to help change your child's behavior. It's a guide about cultivating a kinder inner dialogue with yourself. That's, that's the whole goal because when we speak more kindly to ourselves, when we're more gracious with ourselves, that's what we extend to our children, right? But when we are constantly berating ourselves and criticizing ourselves um, and then our kids set us off, what's going to spill out? And I know there's a saying about that and I can't think about, I can't think exactly what that is, but you know how if you're shaken up, that's what spills out. And um, so when our kids shake us up, we want love and compassion and kindness to spill out and we can't do that until we've learned how to be that relate to ourselves that way so it's a 10-day guide on how to kind of reprogram and overwrite that inner voice so that it's nice to you and encouraging and it's the parent that inner parent that you need and deserve yeah I love that yeah I took I I got it this week and looked at it and it's really I think it can be so helpful to really every and every mom any mom I, my kids are 24 20 and 15 and so two are out of the house but I still feel like yeah. I can do this I mean I still yeah. feel like even talking to them as young adults I sometimes mm-hmm. quote unquote like you said mess up yeah um, I think it's more common when they're younger that that yes. nightly shame cycle but mm. um I remember yeah. when my kids were young and probably when I was more of a yeller and hadn't done some yeah. of this work I would beat myself up. I would lay in bed and beat mm-hmm. myself up about this. And I talked to my best friend about it. And we uh-huh. both sort of made a pact that rather than beat ourselves up at that time, we would just ask ourselves this question. Did I have a meaningful connection with each child today? Yeah. And yes. if the answer was no, we didn't beat ourselves up. We just made sure that we almost put it at the very top of our to-do list to have a meaningful mm-hmm. connection with that child tomorrow because yeah. we are imperfect and we are going to make mistakes. But if you have right. those meaningful connections, which right. we, in our nightly shame cycle, we don't remind ourselves of those. Right. We just think of right. the times we lost our temper 
or the mm-hmm. times our child had a meltdown and we didn't we felt out of control and didn't know what to do right. we don't think about like well I sat and played Legos with them for 30 minutes yes. and we went outside for this great walk and laughed and so I yeah. tried to kind of remind myself of the ways that we connected and and some days were busy and, and I didn't connect with one of them or all of them and so I just made sure the next day I did yes. that and that felt a little less pressure than like I'm not going to mm-hmm. yell tomorrow or yes. I'm not going to lose my temp- temper I'm right. going to connect mm-hmm. I love that I love that and connecting I love that because it's so much more fluid and you're not attached to like this specific outcome. Like, did I yell or did I not yell? Um, and that's, it's such a good point because in parenting, there's never this end goal where you're like, Oh my gosh, I made it to the perfection finish line. Yay. Like that doesn't exist. And, and we like intellectually know that, but like, it's hard to really embody that. Right. It's hard to reconcile that. Like in my mind, I know there is no perfect parent, but yet, (laughs) maybe I'll be the first, you know, you think, you think that like finish line exists and to take that pressure off yourself, self gives you the emotional bandwidth to show up as the calm and compassionate parent that you want to be. We can't do that when we're constricted with pressure. That just makes us snap even more easily. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's that surrender to like knowing I'm going to mess up, but it's having that game plan in place for how you're going to repair the rupture, not only with your child, but also with yourself. Because I think there's so much talk in the gentle parenting space like about how to repair with your child, and that's obviously very important, Um, apologizing and repairing and reestablishing that connection. But then I think parents sometimes get left out in that equation like don't forget to repair with yourself and to forgive yourself and to give yourself some grace and say gosh I didn't sleep well last night I'd forgotten to eat breakfast I have a lot going on at work and just those aren't excuses those are just kind of um you're just honoring like what's happening in your world and giving yourself the space you need to kind of recalibrate Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet you are just such a gift to the women that you work with because just sitting here talking to you, like your vulnerability, your humility, and just um, just your calm demeanor, I can tell that you really, really make an impact on the people that you coach. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, all of this is kind of under the same umbrella, but you had a post recently that I just really loved. You said, make it safe for your kids to disagree with you. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with that in theory, right? My mind says, (laughs) the psychologist in me, the professional in me, the parenting coach says, yes, yes, make it safe for your kids to disagree. But when it happens, it's so uncomfortable, Shelly. So how do we make it safe for them? I mean, and and again, it's, it's different... When you have a two-year-old who disagrees with you, right? Yes. But when I have a 24-year-old or a 20-year-old who maybe Mm -hmm. was raised in one faith and says, I'm going to be a different faith, or was raised to go to college and decides not to go to college, or, you know, when when your young adult or your teen disagrees with you, oh, it's just like, so how do we make it safe for them? And honestly, I'm more concerned with how do we make it safe for our feelings because yeah my kids are disagreeing with me by the way so i was like yes yeah. somehow i've done this i don't yes, know how yes 
But <laughs> I don't. I feel threatened and unsafe when they disagree mm-hmm. with me. So talk to talk to us about what that is. Yeah. So I think when it's when we're wanting to make it safe for our kids to disagree with us, it's not one of those things we can just do on like fly by the seat of our pants in that moment. I think this has to be an established family value. So this conversation needs to be had before this potential disagreement comes up. Um, and that, this, that that's a whole other thing that does take time. Like our family has a big list of family values and um, that's something I work with people on. But making that, if that's one of your family values, making that a very clear, like it is okay if we don't see eye to eye on things. But here's how you do that respectfully because I think parents get really active, emotionally activated when if the kid doesn't feel like it's safe to disagree with the parent, then they might come at it kind of aggressively or disrespectfully or in a mean-spirited way, and that's when that's when we butt heads. So you've obviously made it safe for your children um, to disagree with you, but then it's the question of why am I as the parent getting like hurt or activated, and why is it setting me off? And I think that's a question, I think that's a time to like examine our ego. Is is my ego at play? Like what am I attached to? What outcome am I attached to? What was I hoping would happen? And then kind of looking at that and just being really, again, curious and gentle and like, gosh, this is hard on me. I wonder why that is. And I wonder what I was hoping to have happen. And what do I think it means about me that my child disagrees with me. I wonder what it means and kind of unpacking that story. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's okay to tell our kids that we don't agree with them and they don't agree with us and we need time to process. We don't necessarily have to do something about that in the moment, but it's our job as the parent, even if we have grown children, to kind of examine our own egos and when I say egos I just mean that part of ourselves that are really attached to this outcome that want it to be a certain way that are a little our egos are always insecure so they always want to be in the driver's seat and they always want things to turn out a certain way to affirm us and to make it look like we were right all along and and I'm not saying that about you obviously Kim but you know what I mean I'm you're right I'm doing it (laughs) I'm doing it with myself too because there are things that like I am preparing myself for the future where like my older kid he's 11 and he's really forming his own opinion is in his own like <clears throat> like viewpoints about life and I'm like oh my gosh if he believed in this or that or like what would I do like I literally have to like brace myself for that and be ready to let him be because there is nothing more invalidating than a parent that doesn't just let you have your own opinion even if they don't agree with it um because I think it makes that kid dig their heels in even harder, honestly. Whether they consciously know they're doing that, I think when we don't give human beings, and it doesn't just mean children, when we don't give people the space to just kind of ponder in their own opinion, I think they just want to rebel and say, well, if she doesn't or he doesn't let me have this opinion or this belief, then I'm going to dig my heels in even harder and I'm going to, you know, and I, I know I did that as a child and as an adult, an adult grown child. Like if you don't give me space to just believe what I believe, then I'm probably going to do it times 10. <laughs> like there's a part of you that wants to be able to like hang on to your own identity. 
Or they become people pleasers, which yes, is... Yes, that's the other pendulum. Right? Which right. It's so either like this rebelling or people pleasing. And there's not a lot of like gray area. That's a super good point. Yeah. Well, I've shared this story before, um, but it was last season. So I'll briefly share it again. But And he's given me permission to. My middle son, Harry, who's 20... Um, he did two years of college in the business program at University of Texas, and then he had his own business. He has his own business and, and was doing quite well, perfectly able to support himself very comfortably, and he wanted to stop school because, quite frankly, he felt like um, he loved working. He loved his business, and, and he was making a good salary, and he his professors were coming to him and asking him um, digital marketing questions and to help them do it, and so... He, but oh, Shelly, talk about a blow to you had it right on the money. My ego, because I, I had my PhD at 24, 25, and my husband is a master's. Like, when you talk about establishing family values, right near the very top of my list is education. You know, it's really, really at the top. And so he was respectfully, because he was so respectful about it, he waited till he could completely support himself. He bought his own car. He paid his own rent. He, um, and he 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 eased us into it. And and he got great grades, by the way. Even when he knew he was stopping, he didn't like give up and fail. He still had all A's, and he was super respectful about it. But it it really challenged the core of my values and my husband's values, and we were really angry. And I share this story humbly I have tears in my eyes to tell people I frequently cry on my podcast you might not yeah I if I had a podcast I would probably I'm getting tears just looking at your tears so I'm (laughs) I had to really do that work I had to say this is not my life maybe my value is this piece of paper maybe my value was tied up in grades and degrees and it was because my parents actually did give me lots of validation for that and so it became a big Mm -hmm. part of my identity but that's not his he's an entrepreneur and he's so bright and he wants to travel the world and he's so creative and I had to really do exactly what you said I did check my ego and say Mm -hmm. this is not about me this is about him and his dreams and his goals and I'll tell you once I could do that my 15-year-old has it made in the shade because I've been able to take my ego out of it for all yeah. my kids now. He taught me that really difficult lesson. Um, and it was harder for my husband. He's still working on it. But mm-hmm. uh, you're exactly right. It, it is hard to hear. Nobody wants to hear that that we're thinking, well, what does this mean for me? But it was. Yeah. I was so, And this is why I'm telling people. I was embarrassed yeah. to tell people maybe that I had a son who was college age and was not going to college like that was embarrassing for me and I had to think of like why why is that embarrassing Mm -hmm. who cares he's not playing video games he's not living with (laughs) us you know sponging off of us he's not doing drugs he's out there doing amazing things it's just a different path but and I don't know that you ever fully get there, but I think right. you're right to ask yourself, why am I reacting so strongly to this? Is this about mm-hmm. them? Is this about yeah. me? It would be different if he were just making poor life choices. Sure. Yeah. Then it's yes. maybe about, well, they're not making good choices. But in this instance, 
It was my ego. And once I could unpack that, it was so much easier to accept. And it's not a point of contention. And if he never goes back, that's fine. And if he goes back, that's fine. Yeah, I love that. I love that story. And it's so interesting how our kids can serve up the lessons that we need and we didn't know we even needed. And they're painful. They hurt. They hurt our ego. <laughs> like I can just, I could see and hear like the pain, like the, that was like suffering that you went through to get to the other side of that. And that's and why this there. is such hard work. I'm sorry. And I'm there. Um, yeah. I will tell people like, because the only reason I, t- I tell a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> but the I reason I tell them, I used to be a professor at the University of Houston and mm-hmm. before that at Ohio University. And my students would always tell me when they were taking the test, they might not yeah. remember the name of the theory, <clears throat> excuse me, that I taught them, but they always remembered the story. Yeah. Yes. And my listeners say that too. So that's why I tell stories. Yeah. It's not to like be self-indulgent or embarrass my kids. But I, th- I think if there's one other mom or dad out there listening and they're really struggling mm-hmm. with a choice that their child is making or a respectful right. disagreement yes. if they can say okay it was a process it was a good probably I'm trying to think of the timeline I'm going to say six to eight month process mm-hmm. to really get to a place of comfort yes but the bottom line was I love my child and our relationship far more than that outcome yeah yeah and that's a priceless gift and I think I mean there's just I think your your child will carry that with him forever and to not be given that gift is I think what keeps us as adults stuck that would have been something he would have had to carry around that lack of like I guess acceptance you know for his choices Um, And you've given him this freedom. But, you know, one of the things that I think people have to consider is that so many people have given my husband and I a really hard time about it. Friends, neighbors, relatives will say, how could you let him quit school? And he didn't quit. He put it like a pause or whatever he could but but regardless of the terminology like how could you let your child quit a sport how could you let your child choose this or choose that and um I think that's a whole nother part of it even when you become comfortable with it there's going to be people who judge you for letting your kids disagree with you right hey right absolutely and I think I think we, as adults, we don't honor our children's intuition enough. And I know that kids don't have fully developed prefrontal cortices. You know, like I know that we have to be good guides and good leaders for our children. But as they get older, it's such a, it's so important that we like give them a chance to honor their instincts. And your son obviously had an instinct and a passion and a, and this intuition that this was his path. And to, um, to not give a person that just because they're younger than you like you know that's not that's really unfair and um kids grow up to carry that with them as adults and then we become really disengaged from our own intuition and we never learn to trust ourselves so you're also giving your 
your son a chance to trust himself. And maybe it doesn't turn out the way he wants. Maybe his business doesn't thrive. Whatever happens, but you gave him a chance to trust himself. And that's more important than any degree or any amount of money he could make in his career. And it's going to serve him in whatever the next chapter is in his journey. And most of us were not given that gift to trust ourselves, to listen to that inner voice and say, I think there's something there. Instead of saying, what are the neighbors going to say? What is the family going to say? But it's a a constant battle. So let me ask you this, Shelly. People listening, you know, maybe they don't have that 20-year-old. Maybe they have the 5-year-old or the 14-year-old who is either respectfully or disrespectfully disagreeing with them. I love what you said is that like we've got to make space in our family and say it's okay and we've got to raise them with that family value. But in the moment when it's happening, how do we sort of walk the walk? Because it's one thing to say our family value is that you can have differing opinions. But I see in day to day when it happens, yeah. parents don't really uh, validate that. They don't really say it's okay. Most of the time they punish their kid or they um, invalidate them in the moment. So you've got your teenager or your eight-year-old who's disagreeing with you. Yeah. What do we do right there and then? Right. So I think it comes back full circle to what we talked about in the beginning, beginning, which is where is this anger coming from? Where is this, where is this like my outrage about my child disagreeing with me coming from? Like, what if it's not about my child and what if it's, what if it's more about me? And it's doing that work of answering that question behind the scenes. You're not going to be able to necessarily, you know, heal that in the moment when that disagreement comes up, right? Like you have to just accept that maybe you just say, gosh, this is really hard for me to hear. I don't want to talk about this until I've had a chance to sort out my own feelings and just be honest about that. So just, you don't have to have the answer in that moment and that's okay. Just give yourself the space to not know exactly what to say other than I need time to sort out my own feelings and then we'll talk about this later And then take that time, genuinely take it at night or whenever you have a moment to yourself and say, why am I so angry about this? Why is this so disappointing for me? Whose narrative do I think this is, you know, like if you, if it was about your, your child going to college or playing a certain sport or picking up a certain instrument, like who are you trying to please and impress at the expense of your child's interests and passions? And those are the hard questions to ask and they're hard. And that's why this is not easy work and that's why not very many people do it because it's it's painful to confront these kind of questions but knowing on the other side of that as a lighter load for our children is what makes it worth it right it's it's what makes us willing to do that courageous work but yeah it's again asking why do I feel this way why does this upset me so much and being willing to do answer that question and really dig deep and sometimes you need help with that sometimes you do need to hire a coach or a therapist or find a safe friend because it's hard to unpack those questions alone that's why human beings need each other we need a safe space to unpack all this stuff that's I love that that's great and I love that you're kind of giving parents permission to say in the moment 
This is bringing something up for me. I'm not really sure what it is, but let's deal with it later. Because I think sometimes they march ahead right in the moment, and that's where it becomes combative. So that's great advice. As we wrap up here, I want to ask you just one more question. Um, I realize that a lot of us, we do walk around with these mantras or these narratives in our head. And I wanted to ask you, what's one of your parenting mantras now that you've done all this work and you help other people do it? Yeah, my parenting mantra all day, every day is be gentle with yourself. It just, not much ever comes from being harsh and mean and unkind to yourself. It's just gentle, soften. And you even and talk gently. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you really do. Well, I have loved talking to you. I, I want to like record 10 more sessions. Where, what I part of the talk. country are you in? I'm in Ohio, actually. When you said you taught at OU, I was like, what? So I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And I've been to Athens. and uh, Athens is so pretty. I love Columbus. Beautiful. Um, I did my master's and my PhD at Ohio University. Oh, you did? Okay. And my son went to Miami of Ohio for undergrad. Yeah. 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 I love Ohio. Such a nice state. It is. I I know. It's a good state. I love being here. (laughs) Um, Well, yes. If I lived in Ohio, I would want to be friends with you. I I mean, I want to be friends with you anyway. Let's be friends virtually. And then if we ever end up in Ohio or Texas, we'll (laughs) meet up for coffee. I love that. Be gentle to yourself. Well, where can our listeners find you? I know everybody's going to want to follow you and learn more about you. So where can they find you? Well, right now I have two social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook, and you can find me um, under Raising Yourself on both of those. Well, thank you. And we'll put that in your show notes and we'll put a link to the free guide for moms to stop the nightly shame cycle. And thank you so much for spending this time with me. Thank you. So good to talk with you, Kim. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully, you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area. This episode was edited by Taylor Mays.